Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Today, I'm joined in studio by Captain Dustin Brown, commander of the 126th Force Support Squadron. Sir, we're just coming off this uh, four-day weekend. How was your four-day weekend? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Thanks yeah. for having me on here. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. You bet. Uh, the reason why I brought that up is I'm hurting. I'm here to relax at work because I, <laughs> my wife and I decided Friday afternoon, like, hey, let's resod the backyard. Sod's heavy. Holy cow! So yeah. we we had to we had to um, we had to rent the tiller. So I get a tiller Saturday after Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning, late early Saturday afternoon, and that doesn't work. So I have to take it back, grab it, get another tiller. Oh, I. And I'm dying. I'm hurting so bad from sodding on Sunday or tilling on Saturday and Sunday and then sodding on Monday. Holy cow. That's a lot of work. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I've never laid sod, done more yard work than I ever care to remember. <laughs> and I try to get out of it as often as possible. Um, I, I think the only equivalent I have for this weekend was uh, I injured myself. So playing soccer with my kids. <laughs> so apparently I'm old now. That's, that's when you get old. Yeah, that's yeah. when you know you're old. What yeah. were you doing playing? Playing? Uh, well, we, how'd you hurt yourself playing soccer with your kids? Yeah, we we play in the backyard all the time. They're both you know young, five and seven. Right. Uh, and I went to go kick a ball, trying to win because I don't let my children win. That's um, how they got. That's life, man. That's how you learn. <laughs> I know, right? So I went to go and try to score, and I slipped on a rock, <laughs> and I fell on my uh, my right wrist, and it's just bruised. Oh, is that why you got that? Yeah, this stupid thing right here. Yeah. Oh my. Wow. Yeah. I don't feel so bad now. I know. Everybody says I need a better story, but. Yeah, know. those kind of injuries never come with uh, good <laughs> stories. It's never anything cool. No. So uh, speaking of, uh, uh, of doing a lot of things, what does the FSS do? Because they kind of remind me of UPS. What do they say? Best beyond shipping every ing for uh, small business. Well, you guys are like every ing for the Air Force, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do. It's actually shocking. So I've been in FSS for about five years now. Um, started off as an OIC of uh, one of our two sections. So we have personnel and we have services are the two, um, two sections that make up the FSS. Um, and I came in initially as an OIC and then moved to ops officer. And now I've gotten lucky enough to, uh, to fill in as the commander. But <clears throat> Fill um, in as the commander. Yeah, so our, our current commander is actually deployed. Oh, um, okay. So while she is overseas, I am sitting in the seat. Ah. Um, but yeah, you, you learn a lot. So we, we have a new chief that came in recently um, within the last year or so, and he's he'll say it all the time. He's like, you know, I feel like I never stop learning uh, in here, and that's really what it's about. I mean, so we do everything within the services side. I mean, we're talking about uh, preparing meals for people. We're talking about lodging. Uh, any kind of uh, recreation and uh, like fitness and things of that sort. So you're looking, especially in a deployed location, what it looks like, how do you keep people entertained uh, and provide them with the things they need to have that mental and physical health uh, while they're overseas. So, I mean, it's, it's dynamic. It changes all the time. And depending on who you have in the role, they can really be creative with what they, with what they do. Um, so yeah, services is, uh, it is, it's called services for a reason. I mean, you have to have a servant heart and the mentality of uh, caring for the needs of other people to work there and to work there effectively. Um, so my hat's off to them all the time. I'm amazed constantly at the work they do, at the knowledge they have, um, and, and that they take the time to make sure people are taken care of. Um, 
And so then you look on the opposite side of the coin uh, and we have personnel. So it's, it's a weird marriage between the two. Right. Um, but uh, uh, the personnel uh, aspect, essentially, they, they touch on all just I, the way I remembered, I think paperwork. So it's like you get in the military, they're the ones processing all your paperwork for you to get in. Sure. Um, if you have changes to your benefits or to your retirement or you change statuses uh, for your work, you go from Title V to Title 32 to AGR. Um, whatever that is, it's going to be touched by personnel, um, administrative actions of any sort. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's ever changing. It's ever growing. Uh, COVID makes it hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How is the, how has COVID changed uh, your operations? You know, it's been at first it was pretty drastic. Uh, we went to all telework as a lot of people did, which was, um, a little, nerve-wracking at first you know uh, yeah i mean any change yeah any kind of change like that it's got to be yeah i mean especially when you're dealing with people face to face and that's got to be hard i'm sure a lot of people are frustrated yeah um surprisingly when we did the whole the telework thing uh full time we didn't have really any complaints um i think that we have a lot of very professional people that work for us and they do a good job of making sure that they're they're doing their job um and making sure they're doing it well for the customers. So I think that that really went a long way because we went above and beyond when we knew we couldn't be face-to-face with people. Um, so again, that my hat's off to them. Like uh, David Lorig, Senior Master Sergeant David Lorig, who works uh, as the lead in our personnel, our, our superintendent. Uh, just the effort he put into making sure that uh, whatever time we were able to provide for people to come in and actually get like physical IDs done and to come in and process things that they need to, um, they made sure they were always available, that they always had somebody uh, on standby and that, that they couldn't be there physically, that we were answering the questions they needed and preparing them. So um, it's been pretty impressive, but it, it has been a challenge. I can promise you that. Yeah, I can't imagine that has been a challenge. And then especially you, you've got your, uh, you got some troops de- deployed. Yeah, yeah. As uh, well. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like, it doesn't seem like four years ago that the first, uh, that, that the bucket just went but here we are again. Uh, we have 16 troops that are actually currently deployed, both from our services and personnel section. Um, so that's 16 total. And, you know, they're doing everything from, like, our commander. I told you she deployed. Yeah. Um, she's actually a flight commander of a force support flight over there right now. Okay. Um, so doing something similar. Uh, a <laughs> little smaller scale, luckily. Actually, it might be the same scale, to be honest. They just probably call it a flight over there. Right. Um, and then you have our services folks and personnel folks who are doing essentially the jobs they do here, um, but just a little bit different. When you're overseas, everything changes. Um, you get that, that new dynamic of not only environment, but what are the needs on base? Um, right. And those vary from, from every deployed location you go to. What, uh, are, what challenges, do you, if any, are they facing over there? Especially maybe under, because under, I, I just heard today that they're also having, I mean, didn't think about it. It's a pandemic, duh. But <laughs> yeah. they're having to face it in their deployed location too. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of restrictions that they have to follow. I mean, similar to, to what we're going through here. Right. Um, I know one of the biggest headaches was actually just getting there. I mean, the on top of uh, the change in ROM locations and, and ROM requirements, where are we going to go and do our two weeks of quarantine before we leave? <laughs> When's that going to start? Uh, the locations changed a lot. The, the time frames changed a lot. And so dates kept getting shifted. Um, it's, it's really hard to prepare your family and yourself for going overseas Sure. when you don't know when you're leaving. <laughs> so I think just being there is a relief, and I'm sure that uh, the restrictions that they have there and the things that they've 
they've had to work around. They've probably had an easier time adjusting to that than I would say um, the back and forth yo-yo that they had to deal with here. Yeah, it's always seems like once you get to your deployed location, it's always kind of in a sense. It's like a relief. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. At least I can adjust. And yeah. Get used to being here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We are t- you talked earlier about just the challenges during, uh, especially when the lockdown happened during COVID with ID cards. There are, ch- I heard there are changes. I don't know what changes there are to ID cards. What are some of the uh, changes with the ID cards? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about those. Um, so currently what we're doing is for, uh, we're serving primarily 126th Air Refueling Wing and the 906th uh, Air Refueling Squadron okay. uh, individuals. That is our, our primary focus right now simply because of um, one, man hours and two, our card stock levels. Uh, everybody's running short. The active duty side is having a hard time. They've they've reached out. We've, we've actually done a good job working together to make sure that we each have the resources we need, um, but we're at a critical point. You're running out of car. Why, why is just because... Uh, so many production yeah. lines shut down mm-hmm. during this manufacturing restrictions. Um, oh, so man. it's just everybody's running out and we're not getting any. So it's really planning, especially for us. Uh, if we look out towards middle of November, we're getting at a, a truly critical point where we, we may have to shut down some operations. So it's like, how do we stretch that out? How do we make sure we're serving our people the best way we can? Um, so yeah, we, we're trying to stick mainly to 126th and 906th. Uh, with that said, we do serve some non-affiliated customers, and so there's but there's restrictions around that for like CAC IDs and US IDs. Okay. Um, so some of those, like for CACs, uh, they'll only be renewed if the customer's uh, CAC expires in the next like 60 days. Um, for dependents, it's when their sponsor uh, sponsor statuses change. So okay. like let's say retirement or commissioning. Yeah, and the other things retirees. Um, so sponsors and their dependents uh, turning age 65. Uh, they may need Medicare updates. Um, and, and so when Medicare information is updated in Deers, TRICARE um, will accept those claims regardless of the expiration date on the card. So there's a few changes that have taken place and uh, there are a few restrictions that we, um, after looking at some, some best practices around uh, other MPFs have decided that they're, they're a good route to go to help us minimize that, that impact on our card stock. I remember what I wanted to ask. You can make appointments in Deers now? So, um, no, not right now. Okay. So, we used to make appointments in Deers. That, okay. was, that was the way. Um, currently, we're only doing it through our org box, so our 126th ARW FSM org box. Okay. Um, or by calling 618-222-5708, and that's our, our customer service line. 5708? Yes, sir. All right. How far out do you see this shortage? Because... Man, I'm thinking about myself. March 5th, my my ID needs to be renewed. That's a good question. Um, I wish I wish I had an answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We have not we've not gotten any word on on when to expect that to change. Um, I just know that when we're running to our critical point and what we're doing to try to mitigate it. Um, I do know that there's been special rules put in place for. Um, basically allowing a little bit of an extension on expiration dates for ID cards, things like that. Okay. Um, I don't have that information handy with me, but I know that there's, there's a, f- a few changes there to allow leeway. Okay. So if somebody wants to make an appointment, they can call you guys at 618-222-5708. That's it. Any, any other changes coming to ID cards that you know of? Not that I'm aware of. No, I think that as of right now, those are self-imposed changes um, for the most part. So I know I don't see any other ones. Okay. 
So if somebody from, I don't know, they can't get a, uh, an appointment for whatever with the wing, can they go over to the 375th and get an ID card? Yeah, there's always the option. I mean, you can try 375th, the reserve uh, section, as well as uh, the Air National Guard. But the problem is everybody's putting similar restrictions on the way that they're issuing cards right now. Okay. Um, we actually were prompted to do this because the active duty side was doing it already um, because they reached a critical point before we did. Um, so seeing that and then forecasting our own and saying, uh Oh, <laughs> are, are we going to run into this same issue? Yeah. Um, we were able to look out and make adjustments prior to. So, yeah. All right. We're talking to the commander of the 126th force support squadron, Captain Dustin Brown. So what brought you to the air national guard, sir? What made you say, I want to, I want to come into the air national guard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's funny. I was, uh, went to high school. I always thought about going to college. I wanted to go to college, but no one in my family had. I'm one of seven kids. Um, my parents didn't. Grandparents, aunts and uncles, nobody. Wow. Uh, at least at the time, they hadn't. So right. my, um, I really wanted to. My girlfriend knew that I wanted to at the time, and her parents, uh, basically, I told them, look, I can't afford it. I'm not going. My parents can't pay for it. I, there's no way I can work enough. I'm already paying for my own car and insurance. And, right. Um, and they said, well, that's not acceptable. You're going to college. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So they, they basically walked me through a lot of things like meeting with recruiters or looking into uh, financial aid. So I met with the Air National Guard recruiter. And as soon as they said college reimbursement, they talked about uh, loan reimbursement. They talked about uh, GI Bill and the kicker and, and being able to go to school basically for free. Um, that was it. I was sold. And uh, at the time, I wouldn't consider myself an overly patriotic person. I wasn't like, yeah, I want to join the military. But what I did want to do was I wanted to do something worthwhile that I knew would better me as an individual um, and as like even a neighbor, like make me a better person for the people around me um, and then also be able to get my degree. And it worked out wonders. And then 15 years later, I'm still in. Uh, it has a way of doing that to you, as you know. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah, it yeah. does. So, uh, and you know, my reasons now are different, uh, much sure. different, but I'm glad that that's what brought me in. So um, here I am today. Why'd you choose the 126th? So I felt like the 126 kind of chose me um, in a way. Sure. So, yeah. So I was in the 131st when I got in the military. Uh, used to be at Lambert and we had F-15s. Um, so they bracked our mission months after I joined. Like oh, maybe three months man, after. Man, that would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. It I was, remember being a kid. I, I grew up right around there with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And watching the F-15s oh. was circle our house was so yep. cool and they're so loud and powerful yeah, yeah it's awesome i love them yeah i worked in supply i used to sit on the uh the, the dock for yeah. the for the warehouse and they'd take off right over our heads and just oh, vibrate everything so the awesome. parts on the shelves would be shaken it was so <laughs> cool um but yeah started there they bracked us they sent me to whiteman air force base in uh, near kansas city so knob noster uh yeah you and i talked about that a little bit oh my why do they okay here's my thing university of central missouri is there yeah okay that is not central. No. Maybe it's central to Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also not in a good area. Yeah. No. no. Anyway, so they sent you out to Whiteman? Yeah, so I, I went there, worked uh, maybe a couple months, and then they asked for somebody to deploy. And I'm like, please get me out of Knob Noster, so I will happily deploy. Um, went to Kyrgyzstan for a couple months, and then while I was there, I had a, a chief. He was the first or superintendent I ever worked for when I got in. At the time, he was senior master sergeant and then became Chief Gerald Scott. Um, he was here at Lambert working in supply chain. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, here at Scott working in supply chain. Um, 
And he gave me a call and he said, hey, look, I don't know if you're interested in moving to Scott. And he goes, but, you know, we have uh, positions that are coming available here. I'd encourage you to put your name in, you know, be one of the candidates, at least give it a shot. And I said, okay. Um, so I did expecting, you know, one of many candidates who knows. Uh, and I ended up getting one of the jobs while I was overseas. So I did a interview while I was there, Oh, sweet! Uh, landed the job while I was still deployed and then came home, finished a couple months over at Knob Noster and then was able to transition over. So it really, it felt like the, the wing took me as opposed to me seeking it out. Um, and I've loved it ever since. Yeah. It's a, it's a great wing. It I, really I enjoy being here. Yep. Yeah. I was, no, I won't talk bad about another wing that I was in, but just like <laughs> they, I was like, why do you guys want me here? You know, yeah. do you even care that I'm here? They, they didn't seem to care that I was even in the wing. So it was, uh, and that's tough. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. Um, so did you then commissioned later then? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. I came in, uh, in Oh five enlisted. Okay. And then that lasted until 2014. So I did about nine years enlisted Wow! in LRS. And okay. then after I got out of supply, I moved into EO is where I commissioned. So equal opportunity. Um, and then moved into FSS uh, about five years ago. What's it like going from enlisted to uh, officer? <laughs> what's that life? It, what's that? What's that like? It's a trip. I can tell you that. Um, you know, it took me a long time to adjust. Really? It really did. Um Especially because I went straight from being enlisted to working for General McDo. Oh. Yeah. So as soon as I got commissioned and I came back, I was looking for a job because I had, I was a full-time technician when I was enlisted and I gave that up for a temp, like a DSG okay. officer slot. Um, wow. So they said, Hey, we got some days you can pull over at AMC, but you have to interview and pass. So somehow they selected me. They were looking for a Lieutenant Colonel. Um, <laughs> I interviewed and they, they said, sure, you can have the job. Um, so I worked for an office that general that was under General McDo, and we did uh, we worked on changing the learning culture of AMC. It was called the Enterprise Learning Office, um, and so my introduction to being an officer was working in a very high vis, high rank office, um, and it was at first nerve wracking, but then now stepping into like this role as a commander, um, or even when I, I moved down to the OIC roles or into an ops role, it. It, it doesn't feel, I don't feel the pressure. Um, oh, good. I just, I don't know why. It's a, one of the ways I'm made up. My, you know, my wife's always told me that and, and people who have known me, but also the experience of, of jumping straight into that, that this job now does not feel um, very stressful to me. So, and it's not that it's not a stressful job to have. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, especially depending on the squadron you're in, uh, it can be immensely stressful. But I think just I've been prepped with how to manage stress at different levels um, and how to... Uh, how to weigh it against other stresses and say, is this worth, is this worth something really getting worried about? Or is this something that I should trust my people with that kind of thing? So it's been a good experience. We're talking to the commander of the 126th force support squadron, captain Dustin Brown. And uh, sir, what's up with the band? <laughs> I forgot you knew about that. Um, but there isn't one There anymore. isn't a band. Did, no. did COVID kill it or was it, <laughs> is this a behind the music thing? No, behind the music. Yeah. No, oh, it was, a, it was a pre COVID, uh, yeah. Pre COVID decision. But, oh, man. um, you know, I've played music in St. Louis for about 10 years. Right. Um, actually, yeah, I write it about 10 years. Um, and six with this last band waiting for Flynn. Um, we wrote a lot of good music together. A great group of guys. Um, you know, they'll be friends for life, but it, I just, I don't have time for it anymore with children oh, and with man. work. Um, and then on top of that, it, there's dynamics when you're in bands. I mean, sure. working with oh, the yeah. same four guys, especially on a 
a very artistic and mm-hmm. emotionally connected thing like music, um, it, it just creates dynamics that sometimes you get tired of. Um, <laughs> and I know they understand that as much as I did. So we just, I'd had enough. I was just done with, with the whole music thing. Um, I still write music at home. I like to play at church, um, oh, do cool. things like that. But I just, I didn't have time and I didn't have the patience anymore. So uh, are you from here? Are you from the area? Yeah, from St. Charles, Missouri. Oh, you're from St. Charles? Yeah. Where'd you go to high school at? Uh, Timberland. Timber. Where's it? In Winsville. Oh, in Winsville. Yeah. Okay. I had yeah. to drive like 20 minutes to school every day. I don't what? I don't know. State the the lines that they would put in for districts. They made no sense. I don't. Know. Yeah. They. Yeah. I'm from Northern Jefferson County. No, I went to Northwest. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> my grandparents lived in North County, so that's where that's where I spent my summers. So that's where I'm from. That makes sense. <laughs> my- Mine was similar. My parent, my grandparents moved out to where we lived, and I guess my parents had no ambitions of moving. So, <laughs> ambitions of moving, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the reason why I, I say I'm bringing this up is because I don't know why this struck me the other day. Because we live in we're in Belleville right now, Scott Air Force Base, home of I don't know. Maybe you don't know this, Uncle oh. Tupelo. I actually didn't know that. You didn't know that? <laughs> I did not, no. Oh, man. All right, so my one of my favorite bands is Wilco. Oh, okay. And before that, they were Uncle Tupelo. Yes, I did Jeff know that. Jeff Tweedy and uh, Jeff Tweedy. And uh, I, now I'm blinking on his name because it's just that thing that we do when we're in front of a <laughs> microphone. I could tell you all day about Uncle Tupelo. Yeah. I don't know. Why can't I think of a dude's name? I Jay Farrar. <laughs> my goodness. I cannot believe I cannot forget. I... I, I worked with Jay Farrar's mom. Anyways, point is, so we're in Belleville. Yeah. Home of one of the greatest bands in the world, I think, Wilco. And we, we, could, we could disagree. We could disagree. We could, we could <laughs> agree to disagree. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what we're, where I was going with this point was we're in Belleville, home of Uncle Tupelo, where Uncle Tupelo started with Jay Farrar and, uh, uh, and, Jeff. and Jeff Tweedy. And boy, I got to see Wilco this last November. It the at the Fox, yeah. It's like a homecoming. They had the bottle rockets open up for him, and then the bottle rockets came on stage with him. Jeff Tweedy just sat there. I mean, they played for like two and a half hours. Played, talked, to, just told stories. Well, and they just, have a ton of songs. Oh like yeah, a ton. And just told stories and the whole nine yard. It was so. It was like ah, oh. because I've seen Wilco in Germany. I've seen Wilco in Chicago, but I never got to see Wilco here at home. Which Chicago is their home now. But again, my point is, I've lost the point of all this. <laughs> But bands break up was the point. Uh, of my- you know it is. Well, they're still together though. I mean, well, no. Uncle Tubalo Uncle broke Tubalo's up. Uncle not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They broke up at their that their height, and it turns to find they it took them forever to find out why they broke up. But it turned out that Jay Farrar was mad at Jeff Tweedy because Jeff talked to a girl that he liked. I mean, that sounds more like a band breakup than anything you can imagine. <laughs> but it's like it's, it's so bizarre. It's like something from when they were really young. They were still like playing at blueberry hill yeah or cicero's oh i love those places you know going down down into old cicero's oh yeah uh, that's uh he's, yeah he got mad at him like that that was like during the first or second record you know i never got to play at cicero's so we i've played blueberry hill multiple times um we were we actually had a show planned for cicero's before it closed we were on the books we were ready it was like four weeks out and they closed down cicero's oh man and then um they moved us to the f- what was that I can't remember the name. Fire something. The uh, the oh oh close to the fox. Yeah, what's it called? 
Oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember. Anyway, all I know is they moved us there. The guy managing it was, I mean, nobody wanted to deal with us. We just, we dropped the show. It was, <laughs> yeah, it's funny you bring up Wilco. So my guitar player, Michael Flynn, um, I would assume he's closer to your age than mine. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> massive Wilco fan. So he has said, hands down, best band ever to exist. Loves them. And so I'm like, all right, give me an album. I'll Yankee look Hotel up. Foxtrot, you got to start with that. So he did tell me that when he also gave me Sky Blue Sky. Sky Blue Sky is good, yeah. Okay, so I looked up Sky Blue Sky and I listened to it on a drive I was taking. I had a big long okay. drive. I listened to the whole album. Right. Front to back. Okay. And I sent him a text and I said, you know, I appreciate the musicianship. <laughs> Jeff Tweedy's voice drives me nuts. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Oh, I love it. You know what? <laughs> I, wasn't a, I was a Wilco fan and every time a Wilco album would come out, I'd buy it. And I'd just put it on the shelf. Because it's a Wilkes, it's a St. Louis band. I want to support the St. Louis yeah, band. Yeah, But I was in Germany. I bought Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in Korea. And then I had PCS over to, to Germany. And I had to go do some errands around uh, Frankfurt. So I just took, I took the, the CD, put it in my disc, man. Walk, was walking around uh, Frankfurt. And it just, like, struck me. I mean, that album, if you got to listen to that album, you got to listen to it. You just can't. <laughs> You know, you can't just put it on. You just can't put it on, but yeah. you got to really pay attention to it. And it's like this is unbelievable, and that's when I became a fan, like twenty years ago. I mean, they've been they've been around for twenty five years now. Yeah, but it was like four or five years into it that I was like, holy cow! And then the story behind Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, where they got dropped tell. by the label, they made the record, they gave it to the label, and they said, "We don't hear any hits on this. You need to come up with some <laughs> hits," and they're like. Well, this is the album that we're going to make, and this is the album that we have. They said, "Hit the bricks." Really? So that I did was not know that they were. That was for Warner, and Warner let them take the album with them because a well, lot they of didn't times, want it. <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of times out uh, bands won't or labels won't let you take the record with you. Well, they own it. Yeah, yeah. So they went and said, "Whatever, take it back. You can take it with you." Then they wind up signing with Sire or Reprise. Reprise. Part of the Warner Brothers music. Get out of here. Uh, umbrella. <laughs> so they wound up and they did, I mean, they what they did was they put out they put out the album for free online in 2000, 2001, and let everybody just listen to it. And it just became this whole thing. There was a documentary made about it. You know what kills me? I've to me, that's the that's one of the best ways to release an album. So I, I talked to, we had been put, building an album for a long time with this right. last band I was with, um, and we finally were at a point where we're like, all right, we we finish a few more songs, finish you know uh, mixing them up and getting them ready in the in the studio, and we're ready to release an album, be our first one. And I wanted to do it for free. I mean, my idea was let's release this as a free album and let anybody listen to it that wants. Nobody knows who we are. We're a local band. Right. You have, we have a decent sized crowd that comes to shows. There's people that do enjoy our music, but you know, we're not widely known by anybody. Right. So I'm like, release it for free. Worst case scenario, nobody listens to it. Right. Best case scenario, we get a couple new fans because people listen to it and they're like, hey, I did, you know, it's free. Let's give it a shot. But yeah, it never happened. We never released the album. So, you know, a lot of times, well, not a lot of times. I talked to a few people in music. Uh, I was really good friends with the guys from Flog and Molly for a little bit. Okay. Uh, when they would come to Germany, I would follow them around. We'd hang out the whole nine. Yeah, it was. 
uh, debauchery in the highest degree. <laughs> uh, but I was talking to Nate, the bass player, and I was like, hey, so, and this was turning the time of like Napster and, and things like that. Yeah. And I was like, you know, what, what's your feeling about it? He goes, I don't care if you buy my album because I only get, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a, band, he's a band member in a seven-piece band. Oh, yeah. He's not getting much. So he's not getting much. Yep. So he's probably getting, you know, they're probably getting maybe on record back then on CDs, maybe a dollar for all, a dollar per album mm-hmm. that was sold while the record company gets the other 90% or whatever it is. And then now they're taking that dollar, splitting it among seven guys, seven people in the band. You're not making much money. He goes, I'd rather have you come to the show and see me and buy my, and, you know, see us, buy a ticket to our show. Buy a T-shirt, buy some memorabilia or whatever, because I make more money off that than I w- than I will ever see from my records. Yep, I agree. There's also something to be said for the experience. I mean, there's a lot of people who tell you you need the money, and that's the problem. It's not it's not a desire for money for a lot of musicians. It's if I don't make this money, I can't continue to tour. Right. Um, but a lo- if they had the option and they could afford to, they'd do it for free. I mean, there is no feeling I've ever experienced like being on stage and seeing a crowd of people in front of you singing along to a song that you've written. There's nothing I've experienced like it. I can't imagine. Yeah, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So uh, I know you're a guitar player, right? Yes. Reaction. Well, what did you think when uh, Eddie Van Halen died? Oh, I mean, a couple things. One, um, it was kind of expected. I will say that. only You because, think so? Well, I mean, I... The man smoked like a chimney is the way I looked at it. I was like, yeah, the man smoked... But he was 65. I mean, that's why it was expected to me. However, that was young. Um, yeah. and I mean, you, he has changed music. I mean, like, he's phenomenal guitar player. I think he was a, a really good songwriter. I wouldn't say a great songwriter, but a really good songwriter. He was a good backup singer. He was, oh, he was a good backup I singer. I mean, yeah, he's the, he sings backup on every song. If yep. you listen to the... I was listening to... I think Casey was playing a, a nice little tribute to them, and I went and listened to some other. And it's just like to hear his back, his backing vocals to to uh, David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar. Yeah, it's like yeah, he's pretty good. He's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, he could kill a guitar. I mean, oh he my was gosh, just, yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, but to be honest, can I tell you what affected me more than than him? I mean, Eddie. Eddie Van Halen never had a huge impact on me musically. I mean, right. I, I always enjoyed it when I was younger, listening to it. Right. Um, but the big one for me was Chris Cornell. Um, oh yeah, I mean, sure. Vocally, for me, in my mind, the best rock vocalist that's ever sang. Yeah. Um, and the only reason I'm not saying that there's nobody who's ever had better songs or but right. But he just had this tonality and his uh, his range and his phrasing was just really cool and unique. Um, and when he passed away, and especially the manner in which he did, you know, it it was kind of devastating. And it goes back to the same things that you experience, that people experience with Nirvana and yeah. uh, Amy Winehouse, and when people just leave the world that had an impact on you. Um, you know, it's tough, especially like I said, for something that's emotionally connected like music is. Yeah. It's, uh, I remember growing up, like you said, I'm probably a little bit older than you. Uh, <laughs> everybody, st- everybody started learning the finger picking on the fretboard. I was like, yeah. what? And that one, that's, and I never thought about it until recently. I was like, Eddie Van Halen was the first one to ever really do it. And do it well. He did it very well. I bet you Jimi Hendrix would have figured it out eventually if he hadn't already done I'd it. I'd get, he may have. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, I haven't I don't been know. to show. Who knows what he did live, especially yeah, if I wasn't there. No kidding. But, but yeah, I'm, I just remember everybody, like late 70s, early 80s, pick up their guitar and was 
trying to do that finger picking on the on the frets. It was uh, pretty amazing. You know, it's actually not a very hard thing to do. If you're a guitar player, it's it's one of the easier tricks to learn. Right, yeah, yeah. but it's like nobody ever thought but about yeah. that. It's like the easiest thing sometimes in the world that you never think about. Yep, and it <laughs> sounds vastly more complicated than it is, which is the cool part. I mean, that's, that's what you go for, right? You want to find something simplistic and make it work in a complicated way. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Did you see these, these new masks? No, I want one. Yeah, the ma- they're uh, being sold by the 126th uh, Community Action Team. They're going to benefit the uh, Friends of Scott Air Force Base National Guard uh, emergency funds. That's awesome. Airmen and family, uh, f- airmen and families, they're, there's only about 100, bu- 100 of them left. They're 10 bucks. Did I say that? 10 bucks? No. I- they're going to, uh, yeah, they're going to, yeah, you can get them at Airmen and Family Readiness right over there. Uh, awesome. I just bought mine from uh, Travis. Uh, the director of psychological health during the week or any helper agency during drill weekends. And for the kids out there, they use Cash App. Ooh. Yeah. Sending funds. So this is, I'm just reading this now. Online reservations can be made by sending funds to F-O-S-A-N-G via Cash App with the message mask to dollar sign. I guess maybe that's, uh, you have to say it somewhere in a hip way, but to dollar sign team tart. And mass will be delivered or picked up during the following is that drill. T A R T, T A R T. Okay, is that tart? Well, I know, I know a, a Moria tart oh. who works in supply chains. So I'm wondering if that's it might be a tie. Who knows? I don't know. We're talking about sweet tarts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> could yeah. we could be Captain Dustin Brown, commander of the 126th Force Support Squadron, sir? Thank you for joining us uh, today on the Roll Call Podcast. My pleasure. Appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Anytime. All right. Sweet. (laughs) We'll have you on next week. That's going to work out great for me. Don't have to worry about (laughs) scheduling people at all. Thanks again for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison.